it's coach tori and this is raising runners we talk running fitness mental health and so many more topics as the founder of a youth running program i approach all of our conversations with our youth athletes in mind and kind of have a focus around those things but as you will see we are finding that all of these topics relate to runners and people who like to move and do fitness or anything like that um, relates to everybody check it out Okay, welcome back, everybody. It's me, Coach Tori. And of course, I have one of my favorite guests, and I don't even feel bad saying that. We have the undefeated, undisputed champion of the world, my dad, aka Java Cat, the most busy retired person on the planet. Um, I feel like my intros get worse and worse. Hey, Dad. No, no, that was that was spot on. Hi, Coach Tori. How are you? And you you were I can say that now because you're my coach. Yes, I know how fun. Well, so yeah. everybody, my dad just hired me as a coach, even though I do like the least amount of coaching for him possible. But how fun! I, know, I had you analyzing uh, cadence videos, and um, I've you know I've, I've been doing all of your advised workouts as challenging as they have been because I, I I missed one <laughs> the other day. So, have you done any of the running form stuff I sent you? Uh, I've tried a couple of my, I got it. I was going to wait till you do a track workout one day and then maybe just join you for, because uh, you know, I have seen the videos, watched the videos, but executing what I, what I see and then what I am doing, I think I'm doing what they're doing, but it's, yeah. it's hard to see yourself. Yeah. Okay. We'll definitely have to plan that. Um, cause now Saturday soccer is getting in the way. So, okay. But, um, I'll we'll wait. have to do a track workout a different day during yep. the week. Cool. Okay. So, um, back on track, everybody, um, today we are going to be doing a brief review of four of the many captivating books that are focused on running. As we know, there are so, so many, and my dad has read more than I have. Um, but the four books take the readers on an exciting journey through the realm of endurance, perseverance, and the boundless human spirit. But before we get to our book review slash book chat, um, we're going to talk a little bit about our training update because when this episode comes out, we will be probably in the week of our 12-hour ultra relay. So how's training going besides you just said that you hired me as your coach? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's going well. I, my, I'll just say I've been running consistently 40 miles a week uh, following the 80-20 rule. So only one of those runs is at uh, a high level of intensity. That's my Tuesday runs. And the other three or four runs, depending on the week, uh, are all at, uh, I'll call it an easy pace, although there's nothing easy about running 15 or 20 miles. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, so that's all going good. Still lifting consistently three days a week. So I feel like I'm, I'm in really good shape uh, physically. Uh, I also you know, ran a marathon like uh, maybe two weeks ago just on a whim, I'll call it a whim, um, hmm. just a little bit behind on my training for a week and decided to go do a marathon. It'd be a little easier to run, I thought, with a group than to try to go run 25 miles on my own. And then uh, did a half marathon in May in uh, Jacksonville, Florida, a trail marathon. So I, both of those runs, I felt like I did them more as training runs. They weren't races for me, so I wasn't pushing the envelope to say, okay, I'm going to be on the verge of finishing, not finishing. Uh, so both of them I finished easily. Um, you know, my times were fine. Nothing. I was, you know, 
going to brag about necessarily, but, you know, finished the 26 miles without stopping, uh, which was an accomplishment for me. If you've heard my, my prior podcast, I failed <laughs> miserably in my prior two uh, marathon attempts. So, yeah. Yeah. So I feel like I'm in, uh, I'm in good shape. Uh, I'm now targeting a, to do a really marathon in late August to do like, a, so I'll call it a serious effort where I'm probably at risk of blowing up at some point during that race. Yeah. And that's the one that we talked about, right? Yeah, that's the one. It's uh, in Philadelphia. It's supposedly, it's an out and back half marathon. And then you go out and back again, uh, relatively flat. The one I did do 10 days ago was not flat. It was a trail type environment, but it was a lot of hills. Um, it was on a paved, uh, paved path. So it had the feel of a trail, but the, the, you know, the, the pavement of a, of a road race. Um, so it was a little bit unique, uh, and it was certainly one that highlighted up front. It said, if you're uh, not a serious runner, don't, don't try this marathon. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go out there with at least an attitude of, I'll give my best shot and just go easy. So I felt yeah. good. Oh, awesome. And you have your fueling plan all figured out. You're feeling good for like taper and all that stuff. Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm feeling good about at least the fueling. I've been experimenting with these long runs on, you know, what I'm going to eat. Done that a few times. Um, so now I feel like I know my my plan on race day for what I'll eat before and during uh, during the run. So a lot of trial and error, uh, but I think I've gotten it. Uh, I've gotten it a little bit uh, dialed in. Yeah, the tapering awesome. part of that. I don't know that I'm fully with the tapering yet because I'm I'm a little bit. Um, if I'm targeting a marathon in two months, right? You know, do I want to taper significantly for this run coming up in mid-July, or just treat it like a training run and just a very, very long training run? So we'll see. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I didn't. Even I'll talk to my about... coach about it and see what she said. <laughs> well, your coach forgot about the race, <laughs> the one that really matters. So, uh, yeah, no, that's I'll have to readjust some of that because I wasn't even, I was one track mind, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah. The last thing I'll say is I, is I'm sort of capping myself at 40 miles a week. So I am trying to still add to my training and endurance. So I'm adding now a bike once a week. First, first week was last week. I just did 20 minutes just to get used to it. Uh, and I'll just keep adding to that as being some additional mileage, additional cardio work, but I don't want to go past 40 miles, at least for my body at my age. I feel like I'm already pushing the limits. Yeah. That's a good idea. We talked about that a little bit. I feel like now that's yep. coming back to me. Awesome. All right. How about you? How's your training uh, coming? Well, you know, um, <laughs> you know, I've seen your videos where you, where you post and saying that, uh, you know, this, I'm seeing long runs happening, that kind of stuff. Oh yeah. No, the post was saying I'm not doing anything right. Um, <laughs> that's what that post was about. Um, yeah, you know, it's not going at all how I planned, but such is life, right? Um, I feel like it'll be interesting for sure. Um, I feel like I'll definitely be able to avoid getting hurt because I, I think I know enough about um, my abilities and running to, you know, successfully at least do something, you know, keep moving for, you know, I can move for 12 hours, six hours, whatever it is how fast we don't know. Um, and my longest run has only been about seven miles. I've had one 
long quotes, everybody long seven mile run pain free. So that's kind of speaking to how that has been going, which is that's not, awesome. yeah, that was super exciting. Um, just still, again, not at all what I was thinking or hoping or planning. Um, yeah, I just got over respiratory something or other like two weeks ago. Um, so I kind of like threw a hitch again and like a whole week of no training. Um, so yeah, so, you know, focusing on the things I can focus on. So trying to at least do runs as often as I can, even if they're short, kind of not stressing too much about that. Um, just because any amount is going to help, um, you know, got the fueling thing down. Like, I think I was telling you the one time we were running was like, I can eat Chick-fil-A and go for a run. So I feel pretty confident in my stomach at least, um, you know, have all, all of my different, not gels, but like gummies and stuff figured out for while I'm actually running and things to figure out for between, you know, on breaks, um, I feel like mental games, pretty strong. So yeah. Um, you know, focused on what I can and, you know, this will just be, like you said, a, a fun training run. At, um, and hopefully again, uh, marathon in, I don't think I'll be able to do that one. Cause I think the one that you signed up for actually did close that day you signed up, but, um, hoping for a fall marathon and hoping to just kind of keep on that trajectory of finding some more time, being able to run pain-free. Um, so yeah, well, I told you, I, I told you I'll like, I'll, I'm going to do the one in August, assuming again, everything goes according to my plans, but you, you never know, but yeah. And then I'm certainly committed to do the one that whatever one you want to do. I think the Philadelphia one in like November timeframe, that certainly works for me. I may have that short surgical procedure to do before then. So that may take me out for a few weeks, but I can do that uh, in September and still, I think, get back on track um, for November. Yeah. No, that sounds good. So stay tuned on that. We'll be training for a marathon, hopefully at some point. Hopefully I can get past this seven mile <laughs> slump that I'm in. Although I'm like, who has the time to run for longer than an hour? Certainly not me right now. Um, but unless we have anything else to say about training before I keep just rambling on, um, let's get into our books. So, um, we're going to do a brief summary of each of the four books. Um, and then talk a little bit just about like our impressions, kind of rating them different ways. You know, I like to talk about the running and the mental health piece and everything I'm talking about. So um, we'll get into that stuff. Um, there will be some slight spoilers, I guess, just in like themes and content, something. So um, again, yeah, we'll, I will we'll try not to spoil the major part of the story that I mean, none of them. None of them are necessarily, you know, mysteries per se. Right. <laughs> right. No, I was actually thinking about this the other day. I was like, do I even have to say like a spoiler alert? Because it's like, yeah, it's not like a thriller, a mystery. There's no like, you know, not that there's no narrative, but it's like, yeah, there's not much to spoil. It's just like a book about running. But yeah, so we're talking about books there. If they're books that you want to read and you don't want to know anything about them yet, skip it. Um, did you want to do the first summary or do you want me to do yeah, the first one? I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll do the first one and then we can decide. I mean, I can do them. I'll, I'll start with Born to Run. All right, so we're talking about Born to Run. Yeah, so Born to Run, that is uh, that was released in 2009. The author was uh, Christopher McDougall. Uh, it's really a, uh, it's, it's from, certainly from his perspective, um, it's, his objective is to find the Tarahumara uh, indigenous tribes 
which is of the sort of copper canyons of, of Mexico. And they're famous for their long distance running. So his main objective in the book is to, you know, find these runners, um, sit down and talk with them and try to find out what makes them uh, so unique in, in their ability to run long distances. So that's sort of the main theme. And then when we get into a little bit more, we'll go into, um, you know, some of the sub themes that he really gets into and what makes that book so good because we're referencing a book from 2009. Um, I will say it's probably one of the ones that it's, it's on the tops of most running book lists, uh, even though it is from 2009. So it's a little bit dated, um, but it's also a great book for anyone who likes to read. Uh, it's yeah. not just, uh, you know, it's not just for running inspiration. It is really a book that you'll find entertaining at, at really anybody reading the book. Um, totally. Yeah, yeah. So you want to talk about the other two, uh, the other three books real quick, and then from a high level summary, then we can go back into talk about Born to Run. Yeah, sure. Okay. We can do it. Sure. Summaries of all of them. Go for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So, so the other, the, the next book, the next section, I'll call it, um, you know, David Goggins, two books. And I just put, put those two together, uh, Can't Hurt Me and Never Finished, uh, because they're very similar. They really go through, it's his autobiography, I say, just, so to speak. And really is talking about his life and you know who he is is a um, is a, a, a black man, an African American man who grew up in poverty, facing challenges of racism, an abusive father, um, and 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 how he came out on the other side um, and became sort of a well became a Navy SEAL. Uh, that's one of his obviously major accomplishments. He's also an ultra runner. Uh, also a motivational speaker. So it's really a book of all of that, but it really gets uh, deeply into his relationship with his father, um, gets into fitness and, and really gets into um, what makes David Goggins tick. Like what, you know, that, that he's um, more dedicated than probably anyone else on the planet as far as, you know, digging deep and, and challenging himself. So uh, we'll talk about some unique aspects of that, those two books. And then the fourth book is The Longest Race by Kara Gouch. And we both read that one. You know, that's, um, again, autobiography by Kara about her running life. It's, it's probably um, briefly goes through her young childhood, but it really gets into much more around her high school, college, and then really into the Nike project and what the Nike project is. Is it's Nike, the company, who um, really had Alberto Salazar, who's a famous marathoner from the 80s, maybe, somewhere in that range. Um, and he was the coach of this project. And the idea of the project was to elevate US and, and American runners uh, on the world stage. So he had a group of runners, all essentially male except for Kara. And um, it's really around her relationship with that coach um, and with Nike, the overall organization and the challenges that she faced in that process. And she was a great, I'll put in a great category of US runners. I mean, there's not a, there's not a huge list of great, um, you know, American female distance runners, but there's, she's on, she's in that list somewhere. So I'd say yeah. that's the sort of the high level of the, of the three slash four categories. 
Well, those were great summaries. Um, that was really good. Well, so, thank you. Yeah, I may have stole some of that from uh, from you and from ChatGPT. So, ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I know AI. It's in everything now, right? Yeah. Um, uh, okay, cool. So, back to Born to Run. We can start by talking about that one um, a little bit first. So, you mentioned it is top of most running lists, and yeah, like if you Google top running books, Born to Run definitely shows up. Um, I think most runners, if you talk to them, will say that they've read it or they've heard of it. Um, I guess, do you want to start? Like, why do you even think this book is top of the running? I know you just said before it was like just a great book for anyone who likes to read, but um, thoughts on that for, to start? Yeah, no, great. Uh, thank you. Uh, I think the, uh, I think what makes this book, th this is of all the books that I've probably read, I've read 15 books, right? Again, I'll use read loosely because most of those I listened to, but I did read some of them physically. Um, and and th that's in just 2023. It, it, it is the best story told book, right? So I think that he's the best, probably maybe the best writer, is that the way to say it? Um, in, in telling that story, um, it, it's it's you, you want to know what's going to happen. It, it does pull you along. There's two or three different themes in it. So I think it's the best written book. Mm -hmm. That's why I say it's probably for anyone who likes to read. It's a great book. The only thing I think was comparable that was also on a lot of the running books is um, Once a Runner. It's a, but it's a fictional story. And what makes, I think, Born to Run so amazing is it's a true story. It, it feels like fiction as you're sort of listening to it because it's talking about the Tahamara Indians, these ultra runners who, you know, you know, ran against the you know, best US runners and beat them in these various uh, ultra running events. And it's like, is that really that true? And you like look it up, like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's true. So I, I think the fact that it's true, uh, the fact that he's a great writer, those two things combined is why it's on top of my list. I found it entertaining, whether I was a runner or not. I thought it was a great book. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, you can tell, like you're saying, he was a writer to start. Like, you, you know, he didn't just decide, like, I love running. I'm going to write about running. It was like, this was his job. And it was like, I happened upon, you know, these ideas and found the story and all this stuff. So yeah, you can definitely tell that this is like his thing. Um, yeah. And I first heard of the book when it first came out when I was still in high school. Um, and it was like the one book our coach would not stop talking about. And it took me forever um, to actually read it. And yeah, I mean, it's a great story and it mixes like the science with the storytelling and different studies and different things he learned and like different aspects of things. Um, so yeah, it really ties all that stuff together and it does bounce around a little bit, I think. Um, and we've talked about this uh, before, but yeah, it really, it is such a fun story. You know, it has like suspense and excitement and you care about the characters and, you know, just everything about it. You're like, I'm learning new things about running and physiology, but then I'm also just like hearing about this really fun race too. And then hearing about people that we still hear about and running like Scott Jarek, for example, right? He was there. Um, anyone who follows long distance running knows his name, knows about him. So it's like, oh my gosh, he was a part of this too. You know, so it's like, you get like a little celebrity sighting, um, which makes it kind of fun too. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it, it is amazing because, uh, and by the way, ChatGPT gave this four out of five. I, I give it, I'll say 10 thumbs up if that's such a thing. But that's my, that's my rating system is um, 
But ChatGPT had it four and a half out of five and, and actually had rated the Goggins book, uh, Can't Hurt Me, as five out of five. But we'll come back to that in a moment. Um, but yeah, I do think the one distraction, the detraction that ChatGPT Chat mentioned was that uh, the book does have a number of what feels like tangents early on, but I, I do think he ties it all together. Um, and one and, and two, those those tangents, it was you know those those areas of the story that you're not sure where they're going initially. They're also well told, so they're entertaining, but you just don't know how it's going to fit into the overall story um, initially. As as sort of you go, go into that chapter and you start listening to it, you're like, okay, where's where's this going? Because um, he does take a lot of different directions. You know, he gets into the science, he gets into the evolution of of human beings going way back when, you know, were we built to, to run? Um, so he gets into the science of that to trying to prove that, you know, that is what, you know, we were built to do long distance runs, not, you know, not, uh, not like other, I guess, homo sapiens at the time, if I got that term right. So. Yeah. Um, well, and it's funny too, uh, because again, like he does kind of bounce all over talking about, um, you know, science and things in the past and evolution and all that stuff. But then, you know, there's parts where I don't remember who the scientist or researcher, whoever it was, but like they took ideas from, you know, back when the homo sapiens or whoever it was, again, I should have looked that up, um, you know, hunted and all those things. And then they actually like implemented that. And there was like, you know, two people in now time out running around, you know, running down deer or whatever it was, you know, it's just like the whole thought of that is just, it's like comical, but like fascinating. And, um, you know, like just yeah, those actually, kind of yeah, interesting they, things, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think they had to test the theories, right? It was someone when I went out and actually tried to test that theory that a human could outrun, you know, an antelope, right? Whatever, whatever the animal was that, and, and I think the initial thing was that they struggled because the antelope wasn't too concerned because it would it would just go back into the tribe and you know and back into the whole pack and then you couldn't find out which one you just chased after for ten miles so that uh, you were trying to wear him down but you know so but again when you isolated one they they were actually able to um, you know run them to exhaustion that humans could actually outrun the animals over that long distance so again it was fascinating um, I loved it. Uh, again, I think it, it's it's it has stood the test of time. It's a 2009 book that people still talk about today. You know, I think one other aspect of the book that it, I think is it was was important and still probably is to some degree is the questioning of the the shoe company concept, right? It's the book certainly says it more clearly. It's saying that simply these large shoes with the you know big heel cushion, you know, that, you know, Nike, and they point out Nike because Nike was the original one, but all these shoe companies that do this now, um, you know, you're, you're promoting sort of heel striking and you're not giving the foot the, the natural ability to develop and absorb and be its own shock absorber. And you're weakening the feet, not, not sort of protecting the body. Uh, and the science seems like it's mixed. It doesn't seem there's any definitive conclusion on that. Now, I will say it's been 15 years, 14 years. I don't see everyone running without these shoes on. So I will say that, you know, maybe there is something to these shoes. Um, now, I may not buy a new pair of shoes every uh, four months now because um, I probably don't need to. 
but I don't know that I can go out and run barefoot either. So. Yeah, well, and it's it's funny. Um, when I first the first time I read the book, um, I think we also talked about this before. I like definitely started experimenting with some barefoot running, um, just like different barefoot exercises and stuff like that. Um, out of curiosity, because it really hadn't, you know, you're when you're in high school and in college, like no one's just like do something different. It's all just like whatever coach says we're doing, we're doing that. You know, you're not like having your own ideas usually about um your running and things like that. So I definitely started trying that stuff out and just found that to be fun, but didn't, it didn't really hit me as like a huge takeaway, honestly, from the book. I think mostly what I was thinking about just was kind of like the whole encompassing of like why these people were so good at running and it kind of talked about like running just being the way of life and, um, but they also found joy in it. It wasn't like a chore. It was just like what they did. They like to do, they turned running into games, the way they feel, the way they ate, you know, all that stuff. So that was I think the thing that more like upfront resonated with me um, and then, you know, just somehow seeping into their like the shoes thing too. Um, but yeah, I mean, after this book, I think lots of people had the same thoughts. You know, you ask about born to run and like, oh yeah, you know, running barefoot, blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, we were all still wearing the shoes and I still will do some, some barefoot, um, some barefoot runs or, you know, like really minimalist shoe runs I've been trying to do some more minimalist running shoes but yeah again I mean you know I'm always like oh what's the newest whatever shoe like I still want that um and we're all still wearing that so um it's interesting to see how that has impacted people and I think they think about it a little more and I know like lots of people you know have different thoughts on shoes but they find what works for them but um yeah it hasn't really drastically doesn't seem like it's drastically changed much um I mean there are more at least I see more prominent minimalist running shoe companies coming out, making different things. I think the newer uh, Born to Run 2 book, they have like their own version of it's like zero shoes or something like that, um, like made a Born to Run 2 really minimalist shoe. Um, so, you know, there is like a little bit of change, but not not anything crazy, I don't think, in the shoe, shoe realm of things. Yeah, and I think Scott Jurek, um, he, he sort of took a middle ground. Like he was obviously part of the Born to Run book. Um, he has addressed it in his own book, just saying that he, he's gone not so far as to go to barefoot running, but he, he's going to more, like you just said, minimalist um, shoes, you know, maybe not quite the, uh, you know, the Hoka or the other, you know, maximum cushioning shoes. He does much more the the racing flat type type shoe where it's much more minimalist um it's also hard i think you know we grew up in a society where you wear shoes all the time right and you're comparing us to the tahamara which you know either are wearing no shoes or wearing minimal shoes um all the time in their training right so it's, it's just a, it's hard to bridge those two worlds and say you know that's one of the reasons they're the great runners and if we just do that we would be great runners i think that's too simple of an approach to take Oh yeah. And I mean, again, it's like you said, like the world we live in now, we're, we're wearing shoes. Like there's also not a lot of places I can just safely run barefoot and not be worried about all kinds of things happening. Right. Like I can't just be like, Oh, I'll kick my shoes off, run down the street and not step on glass nails. God knows what. Um, so, you know, it really, yeah, there is a balance there for sure on the shoe, shoe side yeah. of things. Yeah, and I think it's, yeah, and the last thing, sorry, on, the, oh, no, on this book, ahead. we can jump on the next ones, which was, 
you know, the, the characters were so deep. I mean, I think you mentioned it early on was like, you know, the development of those characters and the Bayou Blanco. It, it almost felt like it, at least when I, when I read the book, it felt like the story went from being Christopher McDougall's story to Caballo Blanco's story. Um, and, you know, for the reader's benefit, uh, listener's benefit for the moment, he, he's, a, he's sort of an American that's down there um, and, and sort of his, it's Christopher McDougall's conduit to get to the Tarahumara. Um, but he becomes a big part of the story and what he's trying to accomplish. Um, so it, it, again, yeah, I think he's probably one of the most interesting characters um, and again, what makes it me fascinating is that it's a true story, that he was a true individual, that he had a life here in the U.S. and, and basically just moved there to, to change, change his own life. Yeah, well, and like he's a great example of kind of finding the joy in running and how that can like completely change the way that you, you live and run and all that stuff. Because, yeah, he was kind of living the way a lot of us do here and kind of changed it all and he's off the grid where he was off the grid and um yeah like running all the time miles and miles every day you didn't have a phone I think he was like going to coffee shops to to email back about his race you know he it was it was definitely an interesting story and yeah he was very cool and and yeah even all the other people that um Chris found to be like a part of the event was kind of fascinating where everybody came from but you see like the through line of they love adventure. They love running. They just wanted to be a part of something like really unique. You know? Yeah, something special. Yeah, and it turned out to be you know again something that we're talking about fifteen years later. So, yeah. Um, do you want to move on to Goggins? Sure. Let's move on to this one. Um, so these are two books that I have not read, um, but I'm familiar with him and um, familiar with yeah. some of the things he's done. So. Yeah, because you gave me, actually, you gave me a book that was somewhat about him. Like, that was the um, Living with a Seal, uh, which was really David Goggins being hired to, to live with Jesse Itzler for a month to, to train him. Um, you know, it gives you, so that gave me sort of a glimpse into who he was, because I actually didn't know who he was before then. Um, and, you know, these books, I th you know, I think in the summary, we talked about the challenges that he faced as a, as a young child. And you know, what came to mind, you know, given what your podcast is about, I mean, I think mental health is certainly one. He certainly didn't suffer necessarily like from depression. I can't believe he didn't have some level of anxiety. I mean, he talks a little bit about, you know, the, the fear of, you know, living in a house with an abusive father, right? It's, it, it's, it's not a fear that just goes away when you go to school. It's always there. I'm going to have to go home at the end of the day and face whatever you know, unpredictable situation there may be. So he certainly had like sort of, you know, mental challenges as well as, well as physical challenges. Um, you know, I think his books, his two books, I think what made them unique for me is I listened to them on, you know, they were books, uh, audiobooks, And what he did that was unique was turned them into almost like a podcast. So between each chapter of the person reading his book, he would then, you know, have a little bit of interview session with the uh, with the reader. So it was almost like a podcast in between chapters where they would talk about some of the key elements of that of that chapter. Um, and in the second book, he had the same he had the same format, and you know, he had his mother on, which is a big part of the second book, his relationship with his mother, which he didn't really deal as much with in the first book. I think because it was 
you know, sensitive topic, you know, again, living in an abusive household for where you're being abused by your father and it's also, you know, again, physically abused. And, and so is your, your mother and, you know, how she must feel not being able to protect herself and her sons, you know, is, is difficult that, he, you know, he didn't want to share that in the first book. It didn't feel like, and he saved that for the second book. So there's a lot of, I mean, you know, it's an autobiography of his life. I mean, I think there's some key characters in it that changed his life. Um, certainly his mother um, was, a, was a key factor. I think he uses his father as sort of fuel, like what you can overcome. I think in one of your recent podcasts, you talked a little bit about, you know, people overcoming a challenge in life and how that then can translate to running to say, in those tough times of running, you can overcome it because you've overcome these other bigger barriers in the past. And so I think he uses it as, a, as that kind of a fuel um, to, to be sort of, you know, that dedicated, that intense, um, you know, never taking a moment to, uh, to just relax. He just, it's, it's always 110%. Um, yeah. yeah, so, that, so that, that was one thing that was, was unique. And then the other thing of the first book, the, you know, Can't Hurt Me, is it was a little bit of a, I'll call it a self-help book. Um, it's not written like a self-help book. It's written more like he's talking about this accountability mirror and he wants the reader to, at the end of each chapter or different spots to sort of think about what their challenges are and what the hurdles are and take responsibility for it. How are they going to overcome it? And so there's a self-help aspect to it that at the end of the book, if you do all these things, I think you'll, you'll find out some more about yourself in a way to, um, to overcome some of the challenges. That is one of the main themes of his books is around what the human spirit's capable of doing. I mean, I think his theory is there's if we tap into maybe 40% of what we're capable of in running, meaning your body is screaming to stop at 40% of its threshold. And most of us stop at that 40% because it hurts. Our mind's telling us not to go on. You keep thinking about the fact that you got nine more miles to go and you, there's no way you can finish it. Not realizing if you just kept running for the next half hour, you might feel so much better. Um, and then there's reward in that overcoming that pain. So he, he walks through a lot of that. Uh, that's really, that's his deal. Um, I don't have that kind of pain in my background um, to tap into and like I said, this most recent run I did was one of the first times I've had, I've been sort of broken in the last um, several months on a run where mentally I just wasn't capable of overcoming it. And I did sort of, it, you sort of kick yourself like, darn, I thought I was mentally stronger than this to overcome this. But, you know, you live and learn, you, you know, go back to join board and, and you try it again. And he, he's a great example of that because he wanted to become a Navy SEAL and he, you know, took him three tries to do that. Um, so I, I think he's inspirational. I think he's motivational. So if, if you want to read a book that's going to you know, make you question, you know, if you think you've got it hard and you don't, can't find the time to go run or can't you get too many barriers, you look at what he's gone through and you're like, man, I got, I got nothing to say. I, I should just put my shoes on and go for a run and be done with it. So yeah, I think that's the, the few things I would mention about his book. I think it's, they're, all, they're very well written that you certainly get the sense of how much pain he went through as a child and how he, it feels him today. 
Yeah. Um, well, first thing I want to say, so I hopefully remember, um, <laughs> this is a way late trigger warning to talk about abuse in a household. Oops. I will go back and hopefully remember to cut that in. So I'm sorry for anyone if I forget to do that. Um, but also, um, where was I going to go after that? I had thoughts. Um, oh man. Well, so yes, in my episode released actually this week, I was talking with Rachel Clark about, um, overcoming challenges because I knew we were actually going to talk about this book when her and I chatted. Um, and, um, so she is, um, in recovery and she also is a recovery coach. So we did talk about how that does, is there some element to that, right. Of you've overcome something so hard. Does that make you have, you know, more capabilities in endurance sports? And at least from her opinion, she, she was saying, yeah, totally. It does. It does help translate to like, yes, I've done this impossible seeming thing. This running is like nothing. Right. Um, so yeah, I think there's definitely a theme people who have had lots of adversity, um, are able to channel that to become like really resilient runners or people in endurance sports, um, which is pretty cool. And I know it wasn't from this book. Well, maybe it was, but we had talked when we talked about the other book, living with a seal that you had read. Um, one of the big things that wasn't really running related that you took away from just him as a person is like the way he lives with like simplicity and, um, like no excess and stuff. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit too? Yeah. So, um, yeah. And, and when we talked about that book before, uh, just off actually, cause you know, I, I think I borrowed it from you. Yeah. Um, it is, yeah. He just, he was a guy that showed up on like the, the first of that month with a backpack you know, just very simple, right? It was like, he's like, well, where's the room? He just went to his room. He did his exercises. He, he just led, and I don't want to say simple is the right word, but it was, you know, that's the best word I can come up with. Maybe it's just, it's, it's, it's focused. It's, it's, his life was around just fitness, exercise, and everything else was sort of a distraction. Um, he didn't, he didn't bring five suitcases full of stuff and 20 pairs of shoes. It was just like whatever he could fit in the backpack. Um, that's what he that's what he had for the month and didn't seem like he missed a beat. And it sort of inspired me at least to say, you know what, do I I got all this like I go into my closet to get something and I've got, you know, 20 shirts to choose from and like I really only wear like four of them. So let, let me just get rid of the other ones. <laughs> I don't need them, just you know, give them to goodwill. So I tried to at least at least simplify my own life and you know, make my choices a lot less uh, simple for myself. It's, I, I enjoy it now. Like I walk in my closet, it's it's wide open. There's plenty of room. I've got a few things to choose from. I pick it, and then I just do my laundry every uh, you know more than once a week now. But I can't go two weeks without doing laundry. Right. Um, yeah, and that I think also kind of ties a little bit into when we talked about you know born to run and um, like running just being a part of your life but yeah it is like that simplicity too like it's just you don't have to have all these fancy shoes extra baggage overly complicate everything right like it's just like this is how we live we we get up we run we do our thing um and it seems like he kind of subscribes to that too i know he gets a little bit of flack sometimes in the running community for his intensity um and maybe some other things i'm not i mean honestly not totally sure he's obviously an intense guy um yeah. and now he's 
I think I first heard about him when they talked about like the David Goggins challenge of like, what is it? Four by four by 48. Um, and you know, people love to talk about that one as well, but I'm pretty sure you, because you're the 80, 20 advocate over here. Um, you said that he mentions that he follows the 80, 20 rule for running. Is that right? Yeah, he does. Yeah. So it, it, it is only mentioned in passing. It's not like a, it's a big part of his book. Mm-hmm. It, it is hard. It's, it's sometimes it's confusing when you listen to him, right? Cause he's talking about the level of intensity. I, I think it's really, in my mind, it's more around dedication. Like he'll get up at 5am or 4am and go do his 20 mile run, but he's not doing his 20 mile run at, at maximum capacity. He's doing it as an easy run. Um, now, so his intensity comes across as well. He's running all out all the time. He's saying, no, that's not the case. The reason I don't get hurt is I, as I do follow an 80, 20 rule. Um, so yeah, there's a small piece of one of his chapters that goes into that, but it, it's very short, uh, and gets kind of lost in his overall intensity. Um, but he's a guy that, you know, you don't miss a workout. Um, you, you just get up and you do it. You don't whine about it. Um, he actually tapes himself sometimes if he sort of has like this internal struggle about doing something, he'll tape himself and then play it back. And he, and he says like, I can hear what a little B I am being right now. And I just said the B word, not <laughs> the actual word. So he, you know, he's just like, he, he'll listen to it. And then like, that's it. Like, you know, he'll, he'll say, okay, I'm just going to put my shoes on and go. Uh, or he'll, you know, all the negative comments that you can get on social media, he'll, he'll read them into his, uh, recorder and then listen back to him and, or he even made a, a, like a short, like a, like a rap type song out of him just to, again, motivate himself. Like people say you can't do it, he can do it. So yeah. I, I think that intensity gets confused with going all out all the time, but now, now he does say he follows sort of an 80, 20 concept that he doesn't do this at intensity, but he does do it all the time. He runs all the time. Yeah. Like I don't, it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of days off. But that doesn't mean he's not following the 80-20 concept. Yeah, no, that and that totally does make sense because I think it's sometimes hard for us to picture someone who can be that intense of like, oh, he still goes out on like his easy runs and he takes it easy, easy in quotes. Is like, yeah, you can still be super intense about your run even if you're doing it at a simple, slower pace or whatever it is. Um, yeah, so I'm gonna be like, I want to be like a baby Goggins, you know, not, not like a Goggins life. I want to be even less than that, like just a baby version of it. Like, <laughs> where, like you know, I can't get up at 5 a.m. I did it the one day I told you I got up at 5 a.m. and after I finished this one of his two books and went out for a run and it was miserable. It was the worst 10 miles I'd, I'd run in a long time. And I'm like, man, I'm not doing that for again, but I don't have to. Like, I, I he can run at 5 a.m., I can run at 5 p.m., I can do that. You know, he can do it every day. He can run like 70 to 120 miles a week. I'm, I'm going to cap mine at 40. Like, I, I can't do that. I'll, I'll throw all this, you know, stuff out of my closet. I can't live out of a backpack. I still, I still need a house and, you know, so I need all that stuff still. Um, so I'm just going to be a baby version of, uh, of Goggins. Yeah, I like it. I think that, yeah. that sounds like it works for you. Yeah. I dig it. Um, all right. Anything? else about him or his books only because I yeah. don't feel like I have too much to add no they're, they're, I mean again I give them a very high rate I'm not quite the born to run because I think born to run just translated to everybody in my mind for uh can't hurt me and never finished I think they're great books uh yeah. I'd say they're you know nine and a half thumbs out of ten. Oh my gosh um but if there's if you're looking to find for for some motivation yeah read those books uh, you will be motivated um 
Now, hopefully you can translate that motivation into then dedication and you know, discipline to where you can do it every day. Uh, motivation may get you out there the first time, the second time, third time for a week or two, but ultimately you need to have discipline to sort of get out there uh, for months and months and months. And, and that's really where the benefit comes in. It's you know, going out there for that first week is great. It, it's you really got to do it for a long period of time. Um, and I think that one of your last, maybe the last couple of um, you know podcasts you had, they've referenced you know mental health and and fitness. And I think there's, I think they even reference the studies. There's, there's at least there's hundreds of studies that show that you know fitness and mental health is um, that fitness and exercise is at least as effective, if not more effective than therapy and drugs. Um, now, certainly I am not a doctor, so I'm just saying that it's, it's not, it, people, it's hard, I guess, when people are depressed to say, oh, okay, let's go out and run a 5K. That's really hard to do. It's a little easy to go and see someone and have therapy or take medication. But maybe as sort of a, you know, as if, you, if you are suffering from mental illness, you know, just take that first step, man. Just get out the door and do that little bit of a, like, those studies, you didn't have to go out and run at a 10 mile you know, or, or a six minute pace. You had to just go out there and do a brisk walk and you were getting the benefits of, of exercise on your mental health. So you really just need to go out there and, and just do it that first, second or third time. And then it starts to feed on itself. You start to see that benefit. You start to feel a little bit better and more likely to want to go out and run. So, I mean, I think I, I I just wanted to applaud like what you're doing and and then those last couple of um, podcast guests had referenced that those studies and I just want to reemphasize that how important that really is it it's shouldn't be understated that it is as effective um, as therapy but it'd be even more effective if you do both like go to your therapy classes and then go for a little bit of a walk jog run on another day or the day after the same day what are you going to do so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, uh, yeah, there have been some some great guests recently um, who've worked in like the clinical setting with, um, you know, for mental health treatment, whether it was addiction or um, other kinds of like social work, clinical social work and things like that. And yeah, um, you know, they are talking about they've they've done a lot of studies for um, especially with related to depression and anxiety and the other symptoms that go along with, um, those types of, uh, mental health struggles is, yeah, I mean, you know, 20 minutes, a couple times a week for like two weeks, people were seeing really significant, um, changes in their symptoms. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's really nice to be able to find different, um, therapists and other, again, you know, there's lots of different avenues now with those kinds of things that you can find people who can help, um, integrate those, you know, running with, you know, talk therapy, medication, any of those kinds of things. So, um, you know, it is great that there are so many people who are willing to, um, look at all, all the avenues there, um, to help with mental health. So thank you for the mental health plug, because we always love, love to hear it, love to chat about it. Um, speaking of mental health, Kara Goucher struggled with her mental health a lot. Let's chat about her book. Yeah, that's a good segue. I, I yeah. you know, it's, um, you know, her book, as I said, it, it's it's mostly about the Nike project, but you certainly, there, she she gives you a glimpse into the younger life, right? Um, you know, how something small, like her grandfather taking her on, I think that first fun run that she went on, 
you know, started something in her that, you know, turned into a long-term like, professional career. Like if she hadn't done that, how many kids don't have that opportunity, don't get that first run, don't find that they're good at something? Because we tend to gravitate to things that we're good at, right? Like people don't love to go do things that they're bad at on a regular basis. <laughs> That's not a lot of fun. Um, but would she have ever discovered that? I don't, you know, it's hard to say, right? It's, it's maybe she would have gone into a different sport, but I think, you know, her book is, is um, I think there's a lot of, you know, when I read it, I'll call it sadness for lack of a better term. I was, Alberto Salazar, her coach, was one of the probably heroes of my era. I mean, in the early 80s is when I was graduating high school and I ran in high school and I ran in college. And so, you know, someone like Alberto Salazar was winning the Boston Marathon in, in dramatic fashion. It's, it's, you know, he was a little bit of a hero. But, you know, when you read this book, you see what, uh, unfortunately, what 20 years can do to someone. Um, and I know it's written from her perspective, so I'll give him, you know, I'm not going to give him the benefit of the doubt necessarily, but I'm saying it's, I, I don't want to necessarily just trash the guy unnecessarily, but he certainly is not a positive figure in this book. I mean, he is her running coach. He may have done a lot of good things in coaching, but you saw you saw the mental aspects that it that, that he the toll he took on her, and and it just it, it we see these runners and they run the Olympics and you know you think that oh it's the person who's trained the most and you just think of them as almost like machines. I thought Kara's book was great that it gave you the insight into her mind. Um, I know she read her own book as the as the reader, which not not many of them do. And she's not a professional reader, so it can maybe be a little bit distracting because professional readers are professional readers for a reason. But I, I I loved hearing hearing her talk about her words and how she felt. It just resonated with me more effectively. Um, but yeah, she 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 seemed like she faced a lot of challenges, you know, being the only woman in the Nike project. So I'm going to jump from you know, her early life past high school because she was successful in high school, successful in college. You know, dealt with some injuries right after college, but really got into the Nike project. And that's really early on in this book. And that's the most of this book. Um, but the mental toll that it took on her, it seems like it was significant. Um, you know, things that I'm sure other people didn't notice comments that were made about her weight or of, uh, you know, sexual innuendo, that type of stuff. It takes its toll on people that even if they chuckled off, you know, she may have chuckled some of those things off, but it wasn't just forgotten about in her mind. It was, it still bothered her as she left practice and, and walked away. And, you know, that combined with, you know, she was the minority in this situation, right? She's on a male-dominated running team by a coach by a male for a male-dominated organization, goes to HR and it's a male. It just, you know, she goes to the therapy session uh, that of their the therapist that they have. That's a male, right? It's, it's, it, it just felt, you felt isolated for her is what I took from the book. It, it, I think mental health is a good is a good topic because that is it's not your traditional depression or anxiety, but it is a mental toll that was taking on her. You could tell that, and and the, and the doping is the sort of secondary theme I think here, right? Is 
Um, the questions around Alberto Salazar and the techniques he maybe used to help the runners achieve that success. And, you know, the toll that that took on her as well. And she's not been accused of using drugs, by the way, or, or doing doping. So it was really more her knowledge or suspicion of what may have been going on with other runners in the program. Yeah. Um, so this time I'll remember slight trigger warning before we get started. There is abuse, um, sexual abuse as such in her, her book. So I may end up talking about that by accident. I don't have plans on bringing that up necessarily, but you know, you never know once I start talking. So um, it could come out. So yes, we will talk about that slightly with her book. And if you read her book, um, they do a good job saying that there's going to be um, topics of abuse talked about. Um, but yeah, so to start with the mental side of things, for sure, I think, um, yeah, like you said, male dominated environment, um, they had that sports psychologist who was not actually was he not actually a clinical psychologist or whatever it was, he didn't have any, like no doctorate degree or yeah. anything. Um, so the team is seeing this sports psychologist who is not actually um, anything that he claimed to be. Um, and then she talks about how not only did, you know, there was all kinds of problems with Alberto's coaching methods, but um, you know, the, the team, the psychologist, I wish I could remember who was, what his name is, um, but, you know, they're, they're making her feel isolated from her husband as well, who was a part of the team, you know, they're putting ideas in her head to make her feel doubt in that relationship. Um, you know, she obviously had problems with um, the guilt of suspecting the doping. I know like, you know, they get more into the doping and stuff with that too, but um, just seeing things that she see seemed a little off with that. So I'm sure that can also weigh on someone um, mentally as well. And then you had mentioned, yeah, that comments to, uh, to other athletes, to herself, um, just like negative derogatory. There was lots of discussion on weight um, and different kinds of physical appearances too. So like all of those things um, made for a really bad environment, which she, she does talk about. And um, again, like you said, uh, if you listen to the audiobook, she she does read it. And um, yes, not a professional reader. I had my critiques, of course. Um, but she, you can hear, you know, you, you, you really feel that like the toll all of what she'd been through took on her. Um, and one thing that I always thought of was uh, she's had, she seems like she's struggled with a couple different um, major-ish injuries in her professional career, but it doesn't seem, at least I didn't have that takeaway of like, those things were what were really, really hard on her. Like she does mention that, like, you know, she wondered, am I going to recover from this one? You know, I have to put all this work in, but um, at least in my opinion, it seems like she focused so much more on like all of the things that were draining her and making it a bad environment. It never was really the actual physical injuries or any of that kind of stuff. Um, which was cool to see. And to balance out the mental side of everything, I think she she also really explains how hard that group worked. Like, um, you know, there was a lot of really interesting things and innovative ideas that they were trying, the Oregon Project. Um, so it was nice to also get to hear about, yeah, it made sense why some of the, this group was amazing and, you know, why she 
transformed from being like a great runner to like a really, really great runner um, was how, I mean, they, they really did seem like they worked harder than everybody else. They tried things people didn't do all of the altitude training. Um, you know, again, like there was probably some things that may not have been so great. Like they were very isolated from the running community as well. They weren't allowed to interact with others when they went to meets, you know, they couldn't talk. She had like a special burner phone when they would go to like, you know, different events, like, you know, all, all kinds of crazy stuff. But um, there was so much that they were trying to do that was, you know, really interesting for the sport that really was trying to bring like America back on top of, of long distance running. So I thought that was really cool to hear about all of that as well. Um, alongside of like all of the negatives too. Um, but that was pretty cool. Yeah, no, that's right. I think then it, it just gets into those fine lines, right? It's, 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 you know, the stated mission is to uh, elevate American running and, you know, someone decides that, you know, thyroid medication maybe is one of the ways that you can, isn't, isn't banned substance and maybe these people have thyroid problems you can't say, but statistically it seemed odd that the entire team almost, and again, I'm speculating on how they did it, but, you know, I think it, it just, it, it just it showed the dirty side of a sport, right? It, it wasn't just a, you know, it doesn't mean Kara wasn't running 120 miles a week. She was right. And then, and that's, that's the 95% of the benefits or 99% of the benefits she was getting. And, and, and in her case, it's hundred percent, right. But, but other runners that were being accused or at least speculated that they may be using other substances, you know, how, how much that's benefiting them. It's hard to say, but that, that was sort of the, that, that fine line, which is like trying to push the envelope to elevate a sport. Uh, or Americans in that sport. And, you know, that if you don't have a good ethical leader with uh, moral fiber that they can cross that line. And it's, it, it seemed like in this case, it got crossed a number of times. Yeah, the other thing about Karen, just her mental struggles was, I think the other toll that we didn't mention was her, just her contract with Nike and, you know, getting pregnant. And it was, I guess enlightening for me as a as a man, I don't think of these things, right? It is it's unfortunate. I guess it doesn't, it's not as top of mind, and it's top of mind for probably the most women is, you know, will they have a job when they, you know, when they go out on maternity leave? And I think it's probably less of an issue today than maybe it was in her time, but um it's not a it's not a it's not a done deal, done issue. It's it's still out there for people. And again, maybe I've just been not as aware of it as I should have been. But yeah, she faced an issue around just having Nike honor her contract. And again, the mental toll it took to, to dispute that and having no leverage in her situation to sign deals that, well, we'll advance you the money, but you may have to refund it later on. It's like, oh, man, what choices did she have? So again, just go back to that mental aspect of it. It's, it's tough. Yeah, and um, the timing of the book, I think, was... I don't know if it was intentional or uh, just kind of happened that way, but uh, yeah, there has been in the past year, I would say a lot of positive changes for female in female athletes in general, but um, female runners with, you know, contract negotiations, figuring out things for maternity leave, returning to running, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, so there really has been some nice um, changes that way, but then you also see, um, where there hasn't been changes, there are now uh, more like female focused 
brands that are trying to get into the space uh, that are also trying to help support. So I know she also talks about, um, you know, once she she left Nike and was doing her own thing and, and looking for sponsors. And uh, she talks a lot about the struggle with that whole end of it of finding, you know, the right sponsors and people who had the money, but also had the the vision and all that stuff. And um, now I think you see that a lot more like Lululemon, I think has been sponsoring, especially in like the ultra space. Um, they're Camille Heron's new sponsor, new at this point, it's probably not that new, but um, she's sponsored by them. Like, uh, and they're doing a really cool, like women only ultra event. So like there are some things where they are trying to make um, some nice positive changes there for um, female in sports. So it was a uh, cool timing for her book, I think, but I know she also has been like really trying to help drive um, yeah. these changes as well. Yeah, no, it's, it's nice to see that there's a little momentum going the right way. I'm, I'm sure if we look at all of the dollars spent, um, it will be um, vast majority are going to men's programs and men athletes. Um, and, and there are still many more male dominated companies that are probably in that space. So uh, it is, like I said, it's encouraging. It's going the right direction, probably a long way to go still. And hopefully that momentum will, uh, will stay there. Yeah. And yeah. Then, so again, okay. this one's eight and a half thumbs up uh, or nine. Maybe oh. I should go. Yeah. Eight and a half thumbs up, maybe nine um, thumbs up on, on Kara Goucher's book. Again, I think there was a lot, a lot there, a lot to unpack. Um, not as well written in, as a sort of a born to run, not as a born to run, not as intense as a David Goggins, but a, but a, but a good story, true story. Um, and she, you know, women athletes in, in these kinds of books are underrepresented. And I think her book's one that should be uh, top of the list. Yeah. Um, well, that is a really high scale for all of these books. Um, the first four, because we're hoping to probably do some more book chats as time goes on. Um, so I feel like it's hard to top what a 10, nine something and eight and a half. 9.5 and, and I'll, I'll go eight and a half for Kara's, but you know, depending on what you're looking for, I'm going to just say, I'll, I'll stick with my 10, 9.5 and eight and a half. And the reason, only reason Goggins gets nine and a half and, and, you know, maybe is I love the intensity and, and I love the motivation. So he probably resonates more with me. So maybe someone else reads it who's not looking for that other book may, may give it a lower rating. I don't know. Like I said, ChatGPT gave it a 10. So it's to each his own. Yeah. Well, to close out on these books, um, these four books, like you said a bunch of times, I think will captivate you as you delve into the world of running and endurance um, from the rugged trails of the Copper Canyons with the Tara Umara to the transformative power of running in David Goggins' life and then Kara Goucher's rise to greatness amid adversity. These stories really will inspire you and move you definitely to want to put on those shoes to get out and go run. So I think you did pick a great start for the four books um, that we, we had today. Do you have thoughts on, um, next books or anything like that? Uh, yeah, I've got a couple of thoughts. I'll, I'll wait though. Cause I'll, I'll want to okay. discuss with you at a time, whether we want to go the ultra space, because there's a lot of, you know, ultra running is, is sort of a, I'll call it a niche a little bit. Like, yeah, you know, it does feel like it's like something I hadn't even thought about. Like I thought marathons were sort of as long as people ran maybe just a few years ago but ultras have been going on for like a hundred years and I didn't even know it. 
So it is a bunch that are ultra related. There are some that are motivational. Uh, so there's a bunch of different categories we can get into. Yeah. A couple no, of them involve the four minute mile. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, uh, stay tuned everybody for our next book chat. I'll try to maybe put a poll up to see if you have suggestions for the next time. Um, or I'll put it on social media to see if anybody has any thoughts of different ones we should do. And also by the time this is coming out, we will be probably within a week of our 12 hour relay that some of us are training for better than others. Um, so wish us luck. And because I think it will be very interesting, I will try to take some uh, voice recordings and put together some little show during our run so that you can kind of hear from us while we're actually doing all the work um, and kind of see if it's playing out how we thought it was going to or not. Um, anything else in closing you have? Thanks so much for, for all your thoughts on the books. No, just want to thank you again. Appreciate it. Uh, it's, it's been my pleasure. Yeah. All right. Well, we will be chatting soon. Thank you for tuning in. Make sure you rate, review, subscribe, all the things that you can do for a podcast that you enjoy listening to. Make sure you check out social media, our website, any of those things. If you have questions, comments, interview requests, feel free to email me at merikeerunclub at gmail.com.